So Matthew chapter 15, one of the, um, this one's a good one tonight. It's one of those moments uh, where Jesus encounters somebody and, well, I think not one of those moments. I think this may be one of the awkwardest moments uh, in terms of we love Jesus, we're disciples of Jesus, where we're kind of scratching our heads a little bit, um, thinking, what is Jesus doing here? This doesn't seem like the Jesus we know and love. So Matthew 15, he's approached by a Canaanite woman who is asking for help, and their, con- their conversation includes a, a controversial, I think, um, and apparently bad-mannered statement from Jesus to her. So here we go, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Here she comes again. Lord, help me, she said. Now, you probably don't need a heads up from me on this, but Here's the comment that kind of, if none of this has gotten our attention, this one really gets our attention. He replied, Jesus replied to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, now this is Jesus. (laughs) Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Weird story. More than a little weird, I think. It certainly feels out of character for Jesus to treat somebody like he treats this woman for most of their time together, 90% of their time together. And even for believers, I think this is a story that makes our eyebrows furrow a little bit. She comes in a posture of humility. She's asking for help. She's pleading for help. She's begging for help. She has a daughter who is very ill, demon-possessed, in a bad way, and pleading for a girl whose life is being ravished by demon possession. We might expect Jesus to take care of that, at least take care of that in in a prompt and efficient type of way. Matthew reports in verse 23, that's not what happened. Jesus did not say a word. She's talking, she's asking, she's pleading. Jesus ignores her. And my first reaction to the story is, huh? And if you're reading through the Gospels, if you're cruising along and you're watching Jesus as he listens, as he loves, as he leads his disciples, you're cruising along and you get to this moment and it's like somebody just you're driving full speed down the highway and someone in the passenger seat just pulls that emergency brake as hard as they can and you're skidding to a stop. Look, I have ignored people 
I have ignored people in need. I'm embarrassed to say that, I, but I doubt if you're surprised. And I imagine you would say, yeah, I've done that too. I've ignored people. I've ignored people in need. But Jesus, um, she begs for help. He ignores her. She cries out with the same plea, Lord, help me, that Peter cried out with when he was sinking into the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, in that instance, when he heard that plea, reaches a hand out and pulls Peter up above the waves. It's not right, is his response in this story in the end. It's not right to take bread from the children and give it to the dogs. Now, in the Gospels, interesting geographical note here, there are only a couple of instances where Jesus takes his ministry outside of the area that we would think of of as the Holy Land, as the Promised Land, or modern-day Israel. This is quite a ways outside of modern-day Israel. It is north of Galilee. It is north of the Golan Heights. It is in what, if you were looking at a map of the modern world, it's well within the borders of modern-day Lebanon, Tyre, and Sidon, we are told by Matthew. That is the region. That is a pagan region. That is the home area of the Old Testament villainous Jezebel. It is not a place where God's people usually hung out. Not a lot of Jews up there around Tyre and Sidon. It's the kind of place where you might go if you were Jesus, harried by the masses and the needs and the demands of ministry, it's a place you might go to escape, to believe that you could certainly get away from the pressing crowds and spend some more intentional focus time on your disciples and perhaps rest a little bit. But his renown has spread even to Tyre and Sidon. The Canaanite woman knows who he is and believes that he has the power to heal her demon-possessed daughter. So she steps in front of the master. She humbly but boldly asks for a miracle, pleads for a miracle, and Jesus keeps walking. She is incessant. We imagine from the way Matthew tells a story this is going on over a period of time, enough to wear the disciples out to be sure where they finally say, look, send her away so she'll stop bothering us. You know, obviously the master's not going to do anything, so at least get her on her way so she won't bother us anymore. Now I think about her and I think about myself. I think, what if I suffer a slight? What if I feel ignored? Um... What does that make me feel? It doesn't make me feel good, I'll tell you that much. Um, normal reactions when you feel like you've been dissed, um, walk away in a huff. Um, treat that person the way they've treated you. Uh, or get angry. Start yelling a little bit. Um, demand satisfaction. I refuse to be treated this way. Um, this Canaanite mother, she can't afford the luxury of an angry reaction. She's tried, no doubt, every pagan medicine man, soothsayer, and exorcist in her region. Jesus is the only option left. So instead of responding from her temper, 
she responds from her tenacity. It's clear from the disciples' reaction again that she has been at this for a while. I don't know if we're talking about a day or days or maybe 25 minutes. But she's been asking, pleading, crying, begging, refusing to be shrugged off. Now her daughter, her precious daughter, is suffering, and so she goes with the push approach. Persist until something happens. It says in verse 25, now we have the woman, Matthew says, the woman came. So imagine herself stepping in front of Jesus at this point. The woman came and knelt down before him. Lord, help me, she said. So she keeps crying out. She keeps asking for help. Jesus keeps saying nothing. The disciples have grown tired of this. Kind of that feeling you get when every night you sit down at the dinner table, the telemarketer calls. This is more the old days when we had landlines. Those telemarketers. And the disciples are thinking, is there there's some version of the messianic do not call list? You know, that we can put her on at least to quiet her up. But she continues. And the disciples are tired of this strange soap opera. So yeah, we want to know what's going on here. Um, was Jesus frustrated, had plans for this time away, up in the middle of nowhere, far from the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the crowds? Uh, was he frustrated that that got interrupted? Was Jesus just having a bad day? Is this part of that 100% human thing that we talk about with his divine nature and his human nature together? The disciples just want him to get rid of her. And that's when he speaks, not to her, but he speaks to his disciples, and he tells them, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. We're well outside of my area of operations at this point. I've come from heaven to earth to be everyone's savior, but my focus my ministry is to pour into Israel, God's chosen, to start with the 12 tribes. That's where the focus needs to be, he seems to be saying. And it almost feels like the Lord is sharing that even the core mission, the immediate objective, the one to reach just the Jewish people, that that is almost overwhelming, consuming all of his energy. There's nothing left for anyone else. Almost seems to be saying that. We, we might say, no, no, but you get a feeling from that story like that at least. Again, it's weird. It is weird. It doesn't sound like Jesus. It doesn't look like Jesus. It doesn't feel like Jesus. She is still there, still crying out, still persisting. And she, even though, okay, even though she has home field advantage, okay, they're not in Jerusalem. They're not even in Samaria, which was in the borders of Israel, surrounded by Jewish territory. They're way up among her people. So even though she kind of has home field advantage, even though Jesus has crossed up into Lebanon, there is audacity in her approach because 
she's still a woman. And this was inappropriate for a woman to address a Jewish man who is not biologically kin to her in public. And she is a Canaanite woman. He is a Jewish rabbi. The Jews, now, we don't, uh, you know this already, the Jews didn't like the Canaanites. They didn't get on well at all. Um, the Jews went to lengths, great lengths, worse than the Samaritans, okay? Uh, lengths, great lengths to avoid contact with these pagans. Uh, and the distaste was mutual. Canaanites didn't like the Jews either, weren't big fans of the Israelites. And one of the most common slurs of the ancient world was to call someone a what? A dog. But she's audacious. She doesn't let these religious and ethnic prejudices come before her. And the only one left who can help her daughter. Finally, Jesus turns to her and there we have it. This is the moment where we're really scratching our heads. Jesus says to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs, and if you have a dog, you know this is true, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. There's always a few crumbs, aren't there? Now here is a note uh, that I think we need to address here about this slur dog, because it may seem small, but it, I think it's very important here because, yeah, dog was a slur that Jews used to talk about Canaanites. Uh, the image was of the wild, lean, violent, mangy street dog. But Jesus makes a subtle turn here. That's not how that word's being used here, is it? It is the children's dog. It's the pet. It's the house dog. It's the image of, that we're more familiar with when we think of dogs today of the beloved family dog. The children, well, they might be inclined to sneak some of their food to the dog under the table. But mom and dad aren't about to give that food that they have prepared for their children's nourishment, for their children's health. They're not about to give that to the dog, Jesus points out. So it's not quite as offensive as we might think at first glance since we're talking about the children's dog, the family dog. And to her credit, she doesn't take offense. It's this very unusual occasion. Again, a lot of appearances, a lot of things that seem to be here. It's a very unusual occasion where it seems like someone gets the best of Jesus. It seems like someone outfoxes Jesus. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the family table. For the moment, she has become the rabbi. Basically, she reasons, you can call me 
whatever you want to call me, that's okay. But help me. Now finally, we can kind of stop holding our breath because we see the Jesus now that we know and we love. As he says to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And at that very hour, Matthew tells us, her daughter was healed. And this really, in the Gospel of Matthew, this becomes almost a pivot point um, where we do see Jesus and his ministry turning from a focus on the tribes outward, culminating at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 28, with the Great Commission, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So what does Jesus want us to see here? What does he want us to learn from her petition and her perseverance and her, just her, her approach? And it's really very basic. I think the lesson is so simple and so basic. This is why Jesus has chosen, I think, this is my opinion, could be wrong, but it's so simple, it's so basic. This is why I think Jesus wants it to be packaged in such an unusual way so that we will stop, we will pull the emergency brake, we will pay attention, we will scratch our heads, we will pay attention to something we may have heard a thousand, ten thousand times, but we've never perhaps heard or we've forgotten about or we ignore. And this story is a hard one to ignore. So maybe that's why the Lord has packaged this for us with her as the rabbi. With the Canaanite woman, she becomes a very unusual package, delivery system for this message about faith. So in the story, we have this unusual situation we've talked about where essentially Jesus is passing off his role as teacher to her, and surely there's a lot we can learn from her, and maybe, just maybe, the strange story isn't about Jesus having a bad day, but more it's about Jesus being a master teacher more clever than perhaps we thought he was even though we were in awe of his teaching skill up to this point, because the master teacher could be delivering one of the shrewdest, craftiest lessons yet, one that is packaged in the wrappings of a Canaanite mother begging for help. So first, I think we can say, again, simple, basic stuff, an unusual wrapping here. I think we can say, first, what we learn from this story is in its essence, prayer is an act of faith. We know that, but thank you for reminding us of that. Prayer is first and foremost an act of faith, of trust in God. There are things that need to happen. There are big things, important things that need to happen that we cannot accomplish on our own with our money, with our ideas, with our teamwork. We can do a lot of things, but there are things that need to happen that we cannot do that are God's department. And we believe this, but again, maybe we need to be reminded of this. 
in the depths of our souls, that there is business that needs to be done, work that needs to be accomplished that we can't do on our own. Now, she could do a lot for her daughter. She could clothe her daughter. She could feed her daughter. She could hold her daughter. She could do a lot for her daughter. A hundred other things she could do for her daughter. She couldn't heal her daughter. And she understood that would require an act of God. So her prayer, her, okay, prayers, her pleas were an act of faith. So yes, there are things we can do. There are things that we should do. That's obvious. Good things. Whether it's in our homes, whether it's in our office places, whether it's in our ministries with the church, we have been given resources by God, including our money, including our time, including our, our intellect to come up with ideas and strategies, including our talents, um, in, uh, relationships that we have that we, that we can leverage. Um, those are resources, God-given resources that we can use to accomplish good things. But those things aren't the only things that need to happen. There is work that remains to be done. That is work that depends on the intervention of God. Now, that's hardly the only reason you would pray. Okay, let's be clear about that. That's hardly the only... In fact, probably 90% of what we pray, and it's good, and it's right. This is not a criticism. Probably 90% of that is not act, asking for an act of God. 90% is thanking God for our health, for our family, for our job, thanking Him for the weather today. I mean, beautiful day. Thanking God. Uh, a lot of it is worshiping and praising God. Read the Psalms. You know, 90% of that is just praising, worshiping, acknowledging who God is. But, the, and, but there is this 10%. That's the act of God. Where God, I can't do anything about this. But let's be clear, too. All, 100% of all of that, the thanking and the worshiping and the asking for a miracle, all of that is faith-based. It really is. Um, at no point is that more evident, of course, than when we need His intervention. But even thanking God is acknowledging by faith that He is the provider. The next thing that she teaches us which is probably the clearest thing about this story, if you were just to pull out the one big thing, perseverance, right? She teaches us that perseverance is important. Um, prayer is more marathon than sprint, okay? More 26.2 than 100-meter dash. I'm not sure there's much to add to the example that she provides for us. She was well. She was um, a living example of grit, and determination. And there are many stories of women and men just like her in the Bible, aren't there? There are Abrahams and Sarahs, there are Hannahs, there are, there are many prayers of people who prayed, who petitioned God, not for months, not for years, but decades, seeing nothing. No visible, tangible results, at least that they could see, but they continued 
Persistence, perseverance is part of faith-based praying. Hallelujah and amen when you pray today and God answers tomorrow. That is awesome. Love that. I mean, literally awesome. Makes you fall to your knees in worship. But often that's not the way it works. You know that. I know that. Certainly Abraham and Sarah knew that. And others. And it's something that Jesus, I think he calls out indirectly in this story by allowing us to watch her, allowing us to learn from her. But then Jesus calls this out more directly in other places. One of my favorite parables is that parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. A story about a widow who just wouldn't quit. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, here's how the story is set up by Luke. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray. And what? And not give up. So we're not going to get into the parable very deeply, but you probably remember uh, broad strokes here. She is this widow. She is poor. She has no other way to seek redress, to find an answer to her grievance, to her problem, other than the judicial route, other than petitioning the judge. The judge who has jurisdiction in this matter is not... Okay, this is a parable... We're not talking about a real person. Jesus is imagining a judge that wouldn't be hard to imagine, someone who's not fair, someone who is corrupt, someone who is incredibly self-centered, and she has none of the things required to get his attention. She does not have money, so why should he answer her petition? She doesn't have clout, so why should he answer her petition? She doesn't have any kind of resources to pressure him to hear her case and answer her grievance. It's a waste of time for him, he thinks, to hear her case and give her justice. But, much like we see with the Canaanite woman in Luke chapter 18, the persistent widow of this parable just keeps coming. She keeps pestering that unjust judge. She keeps hounding him day after day until finally, exasperated, okay, I'll hear your case. Tell me what all this is about. And she gets the help that she needed, the decision that she required. He didn't give in to her because of an innate sense of justice. He doesn't give in to her because of something he might get in return from her, but because she wore him out with her gritty determination. So, Jesus, do we need to wear God out? Is, is God like that judge? I mean, really? Do we just have to keep nagging? Jesus says, 
No, and that's the beautiful thing. Verses 6 to 8. In the story, the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he, that's where you put the circle, even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? So prayer is an act of faith, and a key component of faith is this. It is this dogged determination to continue believing and continue trusting that God has the answer even when you are not seeing results in the here and now. Okay. So next, the woman in Matthew chapter 18 teaches us about humility, doesn't, doesn't she? See her throwing herself on her knees at Jesus' feet. Effective prayer recognizes total dependence on God. It recognizes we don't bring anything to the table. We don't have bargaining chips here. So her faith is remarkable, not because she has this, this great confidence in herself, not because she carries herself with this, wow, what a confident woman, um, or in what she might be able to use to kind of persuade Jesus to hear her case. No, it's just humility. It's just a basic conviction. Jesus alone can help me. So why would I stop asking Jesus? He's the one who has the answer. If crumbs, <laughs> if crumbs could fall off the dinner table and onto the floor, well, surely a dog should be entitled to a few scraps that happen to fall off the children's dinner table, she reasons. And surely the Lord will hear the prayer of even somebody like me, she reasons. Surely some mercy from heaven can fall her way. Finally and simply, I would say this. This story tells us that prayer works. There are results when God's people pray. Not always, of course, the outcome that we would desire. Certainly not always in the time, time frame that we would desire it. Um, but we do believe that God hears our prayer. We do believe that we are His children and that He cares our Father who art in heaven. We sit at His table as sons and daughters adopted into His family because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not dogs. We're not outsiders. We're at the dinner table. We're at the banquet table with our Father. And we trust that His wisdom and that His power are in fact far beyond our comprehension and that those resources along with all of God's resources are at work for those who cry out to him for his sons and daughters and ultimately we believe that prayer works not because we believe in the generic power of prayer 
No. We believe in the one we're praying to. Prayer works because we believe in God. We believe in a heavenly Father who hears our prayers and who wants to take care of us. So tonight, um, let's finish. You know, if you, if you need prayers, we'd love to pray for you as family of believers here at Preston Crest. If there's something else we can do to assist you, we would be delighted to do that. Let's worship the Father as we stand together and sing.